What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Last week, we finished up chapter 8 as Paul was explaining how the financial gift for the Christians in Jerusalem would be handled. And Paul made sure uh, that the integrity of he and his companions were displayed not only for God, but for everyone involving and handling this financial matter. Paul also greatly encouraged the believers of Corinth as he talked about zeal, enthusiasm, and eagerness. That was kind of... uh, one of those things that you, you see this common trend as Paul's talking about serving the Lord and this need for enthusiasm and eagerness. And so today we're going to start chapter 9 as we continue to talk about the collection for the Christians in Jerusalem as Paul continues to speak on the matter. So let's read all of chapter 9. This is verses 1 through 15. Read this together with me. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that is your money, that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send those brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmers and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Alright, so once again we have another chapter <clears throat> that is very much connected to the previous chapter. Um, it's it's going to be kind of hard or difficult to read chapter 9 without having chapter 8 because of this is piggybacking off of Paul talking about this uh, financial gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. And he's continuing to echo what he said about the Corinthians um, being the one that had the idea and kind of got this whole thing started. Once again, You see Paul referring to their desire a year ago to send this gift and how their idea and their heart has uh, stirred the other churches in Macedonia to begin giving. Um, So let's uh, talk a little bit more in depth about this. Now, I always read from the NLT, and the NLT reads that Paul refers to the Corinthians as being in Greece. 
But if you read the King James Version, it uses the term Achaia to describe the Corinthians as being in the southern part of Greece. So Achaia was the southern part of Greece and Macedonia was the northern part of Greece. And as many of you know, um, the Greeks were known for their fierce competitions with one another. And the churches seemed to kind of stir and drive one another as well. So Paul does say in verse 1, that he doesn't need to write about this, but yet he's still writing about it. And this could be some more sarcasm from Paul. You know, a lot of the scholars believe that Paul is uh, carrying a little bit of a sarcastic tone as he is writing 2 Corinthians, and we've already talked about that in a couple of things. But it could be that he's just trying his best to encourage them rather than criticizing them. And we'll, we'll talk about this a little more. So l- let's do some speculating, all right? Um, sometimes we just have to speculate whenever we're reading Scripture because it isn't always clear as to what's going on or you know maybe the tone from which Paul is using in this moment. Um, so you remember last week we said that the Bible is a spiritual book and it's not a historical book, and this is very true. So... There's a lot of details that are left out in Scripture. There's a lot of chronological things that are left out in Scripture. And that's okay because that is not what the Bible was intended for. It was not intended to be historical or uh, informational, but it's intended to be spiritual. So when you look at verses 3 through 5, it seems that Paul is really laying it on thick for the Corinthians to give this gift. Now, He keeps mentioning it, and he keeps writing about it, even though he keeps saying that, well, I don't have to write about this. I don't have to keep telling you this. But yet he keeps on telling them this, and he keeps on writing about it. And he's also bragging about them, and he keeps informing them of the bragging that he's been doing on their behalf, and he's been informing them of the process upon which all this is going to take place. And yet he also indicates how embarrassing it would be for them not to be ready and not to give. So, um, especially if the Macedonian believers accompany them to visit during the collection of the gift, that it would be very embarrassing for the Corinthians. And Paul even says, hey, it would be embarrassing for me because I've talked you guys up. I've talked about how awesome you are, and I want you... To, to look good in front of these other believers and live up to what we've been saying. Now, the question is whether or not Paul is strong-arming them or just warning them about this. And the truth be told, it, it, it could be a little of both. Now, once again, um, you know, you got to remember, the Corinthians were the ones who started this whole financial gift for the believers in Jerusalem And then they got it started. It was their idea. They wanted to do it first. And then they pulled back and never gave. So Paul wants them to finish what they committed to do. However, at the same time, it would be embarrassing if someone had heard such wonderful things about the church. And then they showed up and they witnessed a fiasco. Um, now, Now think about this. So, for example... <clears throat> what if you had bragged and bragged and bragged on your church? Hopefully most of you who are listening to this attend Graham Chapel. What if you had bragged about Graham Chapel? And what if you had been inviting someone to church for a long time and you talked about how great our church was and 
you've finally convinced them to come and you've told them how great the church is. You've told them how the Spirit moves there, how every week you just feel like God's presence is so thick that you can feel it and the people are so kind and they're loving. And yet the day that they show up to church, no one speaks to them. No one is loving. No one is kind. There's arguing going on. There's disagreements. No one's participating in the singing. No one's listening to the message. No one is worshiping. How embarrassing would it be for you to have your friend or a family member come in that you had been talking this church up to and then all of a sudden they come and it lets you down significantly? It would be extremely embarrassing. You would be so disappointed. And in fact, you would probably... You would probably be very frustrated with the pastor and the staff and and the people of the church for letting you down because you put your neck out there to get these people to come to church. So, in thinking about it, um, and this is just my opinion, okay, this is my speculation. I believe that Paul's warnings are very genuine because um, it would be terrible... It would be terribly embarrassing for the Corinthians to be visited by the Macedonian believers and for them to witness the Corinthians arguing over the financial gift or to argue over petty divisions or to have sin present in their gatherings. That would be terrible. And so, yes, Paul is laying it on thick, but at the same time, it's very necessary for them to do what is right so that Christ is represented well among them and that Christ is represented well to outsiders. So, even Paul doesn't want to be embarrassed because Paul is represented by the Corinthians. You know that he he refers to the Corinthians as his spiritual children because he's the one that brought the message of the gospel there in the beginning. And and now, so let's just think about it from children, having children, and that point of view, okay? How many times have you as a parent sat down with your kid and talk to them about the expectations that you have for them before you go to a family gathering or a public event, before you send them to school, before you drop them off at a friend's house or a babysitter, do you not tell them over and over again, uh, do you not stress to them over and over again the importance and the expectations um that you have for them to behave, to use their manners, to be kind, to share, to do all these things that they're supposed to do that you've taught them their whole life, and you lay out the expectations for them, and you belabor that with them. like Because my wife and I, we do this with our, especially our two oldest kids, because they understand um, what we are teaching them. Like, and so we tell them, you better be good, you better listen, you use your manners on the first time, you, you you listen and do what they tell you to do because those are the expectations that we have for them. Same thing. As we've dropped our, our son off, he's our oldest, as we've dropped him off at his 4K class, you know, we constantly talk to him about how important it is for him to be a leader and not be a follower, to to do the right thing despite what everyone else is doing. We talk about our expectations with him constantly because we want him to do well when the time comes. Paul's doing this with the Corinthians. So 
it may not necessarily be as much of a tactic of sarcasm and just kind of like trying to guilt these people into doing this as much as it is just simply reminding them of the calling that God has on their life, the calling that they felt in the very beginning, which they have not um, finished and honored yet. And so, yes, Paul does want the Corinthians to, to look good, and Paul wants uh, his bragging about them to prove correct. And, yeah, Paul is sending someone ahead to prepare them. And that's not, in my opinion, that's not strong-arming. That's good leadership. And at the end of verse 5, Paul reaffirms that he wants the gift to be given willingly and not grudgingly. That's important. Um, because in order to encourage them to give willingly, Paul quotes a verse from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8. And you need to understand that part of what Paul quotes... <clears throat> um, it's it's unique. This is one of those passages in the Bible that in what we had access to for hundreds of years, um, that passage was written in Greek and it included what Paul quotes. Um, it's the second half of, of chapter 22, verse 8 from Proverbs. But since the King James Version was written, we found older translations of those passages of Scripture that are written in uh, Hebrew and Arabic, and those passages do not contain the verse that Paul quotes. So Paul is actually quoting uh, the same uh, portion of Scripture that we have in the King James Version. Now, in your newer versions, your newer translations like the NLT, it doesn't include it in the scriptural portion, but it includes it in the footnotes, whereas the King James Version actually has it in the passage. So it's not that it was removed and taken out. It was just, it was moved to the footnotes because scholars are unsure if that was a part of the original translations or not, okay? So, um... Just wanted to kind of throw that out there for you. So Paul's quoting the passage of Scripture, um, and if you're using a, a newer translation, it's going to be in the footnotes. It's not going to be in the scriptural section. So every person that Paul is speaking to has to decide how much they are going to give, and it doesn't matter how much you give. Like That's the biggest thing. The question is whether or not you do it with a cheerful heart. You could give more than everyone else, but if you do it reluctantly then basically your gift is a waste. However, you could give less than everyone else, and if you do it with a cheerful heart, then God blesses that and honors that gift because God wants us to give with cheerful hearts. So we should remember this as we try to serve the Lord in our everyday lives. Our relationship with God is reflected in the attitude of our hearts. So whether it's giving financially, serving Him with time, helping out a brother and sister in Christ, ministering to people in our community, if we do it cheerfully, it is much better and it's much more pleasing to the Lord. It's not the amount, it's the quality upon which we do it. So verses 8 through 9 go on to remind the Corinthians of God's promise to provide them with everything that they need as well as with leftovers. And Paul quotes another verse from Psalm 112 verse 9 that their good deeds would be remembered forever if they share freely and give generously. This is important to remind ourselves that God 
wants us to be givers and wants to replenish us so that we can continue giving. So when you look at verse 10, it reminds us of the fact that God is the provider of all things. He is the one that increases our resources so that a great harvest of generosity is produced in us. Now, the Greek word for generosity also translates to righteousness. And it's very important to remember that generosity, the, the, the attitude of our generosity, is a direct reflection of the righteousness of God being present in all of our lives as believers. So look at verse 11. Verse 11 talks about how we will be enriched so that we can always be generous. So God wants to replenish our ability to give so that we can always give cheerfully. God doesn't want us to give reluctantly. If you think about how if we run out and we have nothing left to give, we would be reluctant to give again because you know you can't give what you don't have. And it's very frustrating to be in that position. But if God wants us to be a cheerful giver, it only makes sense that God would replenish us, that God would continue to give so that we can give cheerfully because we know the more we give, the more God gives. And the more we give, the more God gives. And it's a reciprocating, revolving thing that happens. Um, so God has not called us to do something that he is not going to equip us with. So in being generous, we do it with a cheerful heart, and he's given us the ability to do it with a cheerful heart. And in being obedient in this way, Paul talks about how two things will be done. The first thing is the believers in Jerusalem will receive what they need. You will be providing them with their needs. The second thing is, is that um, the believers in Jerusalem will give glory to God. And, 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 and they will praise God. So by being generous, now think about this. By being generous, we are able to honor the most important commandments. By being generous, we love our neighbors as ourselves, and yet we are able to love the Lord our God, and we are bringing glory and honor to His name. So the two most important commandments are honored by us being generous to other believers. That's really important. And as the chapter closes out in verses 13 through 15, they talk about how the generosity of us as believers will prove that we are being obedient to the good news of Christ. That means the gospel. And so today, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ and you want to be obedient to the full message of the gospel that saved you from your sins, you need to practice the obedience of giving and giving cheerfully. The 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 presence of generosity needs to be in your life because the presence of generosity also reflects the presence of God's righteousness living in you. And in doing this, the believers who receive from you will bless you and pray for you. And this is a reciprocating gift that goes back and forth. And as we give what we have to give, the receiver gives what they have to give. So while they may not be able to pay you back money or goods, they give praise to God and then they pray for you and ask God to bless you. And guess what? Because God is the giver of all things, he has the ability to give back to you whatever you have gives if he finds you to be a worthy steward of what he is giving you. 
And it has been my experience throughout my life as a Christian, as I have witnessed it in my own life, and I've also witnessed it in others, that those who are generous, God blesses generously. And it doesn't mean finances, but those who are generous, God blesses generously. I have watched some of the poorest people that I know inside the church give and give and give and give and give. And do you know what I have seen over and over and over again? I have seen God lead other people to give and to give and to give to those people who don't have as much money and don't have as much family and don't have as much ability to survive as we do. God leads other people to go and give to them in many different ways. Our Father in Heaven can work all things out. And so when we give generously, we're just trusting in Him that He's going to work it all out. And He's going to keep providing us with the ability to give. And Paul talks about the gift of giving, the gift of being generous, and doing it with a cheerful heart is a gift that is too wonderful for words. And Paul doesn't even try to explain it because it is too wonderful for words. So in closing out today, I just want to ask you this question. How generous are you? How cheerful do you give to the Lord and to the others around you in need? It is a direct reflection of the righteousness of God being present in your life. And so I hope and pray today that you are giving cheerfully as to represent the presence of God in your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for everything you bless us with. And I pray, God, that you would watch over us and guide us in all that we do. Help us to give cheerfully. Help us to, to be happy, to serve one another, and to give to those in need. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be called your children, to be called your servants. And we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. As always, we're so thankful that you uh, joined us. Uh, we would love to see you on campus this weekend for our services. And if we can't catch you on campus, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.